we're tech capable, but we're still learning. <laughs> so thank you for being patient with us. Welcome to Hope Church uh, from your living room. We're glad you're here. I definitely miss seeing you all right now. I can only see a few faces on my screen. Uh, before we begin our worship service, and I'll turn it over to Pastor Jim to lead us through the call to worship and, and the prayer. Um, we've got a couple announcements. In case you missed the email, we are uh, canceling all church-related activities and worship through the month of April. Uh, we won't be meeting together in person, at least until May at this point, unfortunately. It's not something we enjoy doing, for sure. Uh, this, this stinks, frankly. Um, it's, it's super strange being in the sanctuary by myself, but we love you and don't want you to get sick, so here we are. So until then, we will continue to meet with Zoom. It'll be the same login information every week. And if you have any trouble at all, or you know someone who's having trouble connecting, uh, we're happy to take time out of our week to, to make that happen. So please let me know. Uh, second announcement I have, I, some of you have gotten the email notice. You, you have the ability now to give online on our website. It's, it's a temporary option, just making do with, with the fact that we can't be in person, but our denomination has graciously made it possible for to process our donations from our bank accounts uh, for free through their security uh, it is secure. And so if that's something you're interested in doing, you can, you can go to our website, go to the, the giving page, and it has instructions for you there. The way it works, just so you're, you're wondering, it, it will take you to the PCA Foundation page, and then, and then it will give the funds to them who then respond, give the funds back to us. So that is the system they have set up for us. And as always, you, you can continue to maintain your support of the church through, uh, through mailing checks as well. Sally is checking the mail a few times a week. So thank you so much for those who have continued to support us financially through this time. And then I know from talking to many of you, uh, there's just a lot of sorrow that we can't be together on Palm Sunday, uh, on Easter. Uh, we're, today is a communion Sunday. We ought to be together. And, and eating and, and drinking at the Lord's table. And so just, just one quick thought to, to get you to, to process that we're, we're going to wait to have communion until we're back together again. This is from a, a, what I think is a biblical understanding that the sacraments are meant to be taken in person. Um, communion is designed by God to train us to long and to long to be physically present with all of God's people and with Jesus himself. Like physically present. That's, that's part of what it's training you to do is long for the new heavens and new earth. And so we're getting a taste of that now as we wait and long to have fellowship with one another and with Jesus as our host the next time we get together. So as you lament, as you're, you're sad about this and frustrated like the rest of us, uh, lean into that ache, lean into that groaning. That's, that's a spirit-filled gift of saying this is how it ought to be and things are not how they ought to be right now. There's some scriptures this morning. Okay. All right. Well, we are here to worship the living God. And so as we come to our God, who is our refuge, our strength, our fortress, the one who our best. sees us and takes care of us, I will turn it over to Pastor Jim, and he will lead us to the call to worship, which you can see on your screen. Okay. Can everybody hear my voice? Yes. Okay, good. It's taken from Zechariah and Psalms, and uh, it's certainly centered around uh, this uh, day. If we were together, uh, we sharing uh, palms together. But today is Palm Sunday, where uh, and we're recognizing that in our call to worship. Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion! Shout aloud, O daughter of Jerusalem! Behold, your King is coming to you, righteous. And having salvation, is he humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey? Do we respond here at all, Nate? Nate or Go ahead and just read it, Jim. Just keep on reading. Okay. Who is the King of glory, the Lord, strong and mighty? Who are you are, my God, and I will give thanks to you. I will give thanks to the Lord, for he is good, for his steadfast love 
endures forever. Now, trust now the good news promised us long ago in Zechariah, as for you also, because of the blood of my covenant with you, I will set your prisoners free from the waterless pit. Return to your stronghold, old prisoners of hope. Let us worship Christ our Lord as those bound to him by the blood of the new covenant. We are his prisoners and chained to our living hope. Let's pray together. Let's bow our heads in prayer. David says in his prayer in 1 Chronicles, Blessed are you, O Lord, the God of Israel, our Father, forever and ever. Yours, O Lord, is the greatness and the power and the glory and the victory and the majesty for all that is in the heavens and in the earth is yours. Yours is the kingdom, O Lord, and you are exalted as head above all. Both riches and honor come from you, and you rule over all. In your hand are power and might, and in your hand it is to make great and to give strength to all. Now we thank you, our God, and praise your glorious name. We thank you, Lord, for giving us the prayers in the heart of this saint who depended upon you as he began to worship, and we depend upon you now, Lord, as we begin to worship now, as you would <clears throat> give us a blessing and, and an anointing of your spirit as we do this together today, though not feeling as usual or as natural as we would. We pray, Father, that you would override any kind of uncomfortable or, or distance we may feel, and, and may your presence be with us as we we speak of your name and we we speak of your 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 power and might we think we think of your deeds uh, we as the israelites of old have been told over and over again given so many festivals and given so many so many rituals to remember who you are and to remember in songs of praise that you have done mighty deeds in our life and lord we as we think of this holy week uh, approaching, we are certainly reminded of your holiness. We are reminded of your steadfastness. Jesus, we are reminded of how your your face was turned like granite to Jerusalem, that it was your desire to love us and to die for us. And so, Lord, we we are most amazed and pray that today we are refreshed by the gospel and refreshed by knowing that we are recipients of a hope and assurance that we did not ever desire until you gave us that desire in our hearts. And so, Lord, we pray as we are here today together, as we rejoice even in this technology to be able to, uh, in a small way, see the faces and hear the voices of the people that we care about. Most of all, Lord, we rejoice in knowing that you care about us and you love us more than we can understand. And so, Lord, we, as we continue to worship you this morning and begin to do so, may we be reminded of that you can't love us anymore, nor can you love us any less. And so, Lord, may that be the song in our heart as we continue to worship you this morning. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. So I need all the attention of the kids. For a moment, we're going to sing after I do a quick lesson. So if you're in your living room, you're still in your PJs, whatever you're doing, listen up. <laughs> I definitely miss seeing you guys. But what I want to think about with you this morning <laughs> is um, resting. You can put this up closer to the thing. Resting and relying on the love of God. And so what I want us to think about is what is it like for God to be our father? And, and what does that look like? And, right, so all of us have been kids at some point. When you were little, did someone big ever carry you? Right? right? At some point, you were a baby, probably with a wobbly head, too. <laughs> right? Did you ever have to get carried? Did you rest their, your head on their shoulder? Did you lean your whole weight on them? Did you ever fall asleep on your daddy's shoulder? or your mom's, 
So one of the things the Bible teaches us, I'm blocking my microphone here, what, what the Bible teaches us is that faith is resting and relying on someone else, not on ourselves. The same way a child rests on their parent when they're sleeping. Right? Because faith means resting or relying not on who we are, not on what we can do, not on how we feel in the moment or what we know. Faith is resting in who God is and what he has done. And his love for us in Jesus, it's done everything the same way a parent carries a child. There's a great place in Deuteronomy where God says to Israel, like a dad, like a good dad, I carried you from Egypt through the desert to this place. You did nothing. It's like you were asleep because I love you. I'm a good father. And so 1 John 4.16 says something similar. So we know and rely on the love that God has for us. And we know that, the, that God loves us because he sent Jesus who loved us even to die on a cross. And so today as we, we get ready to sing Jesus Loves Me, we're, we're celebrating that even now, we're being reminded that God, our Father, is carrying us on our shoulders. Are we going to kick and scream and get mad? Or are we going to rest and trust and know that he's holding on to us? So trust, trust Jesus this morning. That's, what, that's how Jesus taught us to pray, to begin our Father. All right, well, let's, let's sing Jesus Loves Me. And the, the lyric should be up on your screen here in a moment. John unmuted. Am I on? Oh, there you are. Okay, here we go. Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. Little ones to him belong, they are weak, but he is strong. Jesus loves me, he who died, heaven's gates to open wide. He will wash away my sin, let his little children come in. Yes, Jesus loves me, yes, Jesus loves me, yes, Jesus loves me. The Bible tells me so. Jesus loves me, loves me still. Though I'm very weak and ill, from his shining throne on high comes to watch me where I lie. Jesus loves me, he will stay close beside me all the way. If I love him when I die, he will take me home on high. Yes, Jesus loves me. Yes, Jesus loves me. Yes, Jesus loves me. The Bible tells me so. Some good news to, to rest in today. Uh, we're going to move now to our confession of faith, and we're going to read Psalm 32. So if you have a Bible, you can follow along. Uh, but the Perkins family is going to help us read Psalm 32. Can you hear me? Blessed is he whose transgressions are forgiven, whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man whose sin the Lord does not count against him, and in whose spirit is no deceit. When I kept silent, my bones wasted away, through my groaning all day long. For day and night your hand was heavy upon me. My strength was sapped, as in the heat of summer. Then I acknowledged my sin to you, and I did not cover up my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord. 
Therefore, let everyone who is godly offer prayer to you at a time when you may be found. Surely in the rush of great waters, they shall not reach you. You are a hiding place for me. You preserve me from much from trouble. You surround me with shouts of deliverance. I will instruct you and teach you in the way you should go. I will counsel you with my eye upon you. Be not like a horse or a mule without understanding, which must be curbed with bit and bridle, or it will not stay near you. Many are the sorrows of the wicked, but steadfast love surrounds the one who trusts in the Lord. Be glad in the Lord and rejoice, O righteous, and shout for joy, all you upright in heart. <laughs> A beautiful reminder uh, that, that we are surrounded even now by the steadfast love of our Lord. And it's because of his mercy that we have the freedom to step out of hiding and to be honest with him, with God and with one another, that we too have sinned. And the psalmist reminds us that, that when you confess your sins, it sets you free. It frees your body. <laughs> it frees your mind. It frees your guilt. It frees your conscience. You are blessed when you are forgiven. And so with that, let's confess our sin together. Uh, the prayer is, will be on your screen, and there will be a time to silently confess your own sin. But I'm also giving you prayers. You can pray during the week and even now for, for, to pray for protection, for, for the lonely, for the sick, um, for the needy. And so with that, let's, let's pray together. Most merciful God, we confess that we have sinned against you in thought, word, and deed by what we have done and by what we have left undone. We have not loved you with our whole heart. We have not loved our neighbors as ourselves. We are truly sorrow, sorry and we humbly repent. For the sake of your Son, Jesus Christ, have mercy on us and forgive us so that we may delight in your will and walk in your ways to the glory so that Jesus might be known to the glory of your name. Amen. Take a moment now where the, the psalm and this confession intersects your life to talk, talk to Jesus directly. He is merciful. Before we listen to these words of encouragement, I want to read Psalm 139. It just, it's a prayer for those who are in isolation. Where could I go from your spirit? Or where could I flee from your presence? If I ascend up into heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in Sheol, the grave, behold, you are there. If I take the wings of the dawn and settle in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there your hand will lead me, and your right hand will hold me. So, Lord, we ask now that you would comfort us in our loneliness and our isolation, for Christ's sake. Amen. Now, hear these words of assurance and comfort and pardon from, from the book of Revelation, where, where Jesus says, Grace to you and peace from him who is and who was and who is to come, and from the seven spirits who are before his throne, and from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn from the dead, the ruler of the kings of the earth, to him who loves us and has freed us, hear that, present tense, loves us and has freed us from our sins by his blood, and he has made us a kingdom, priest to his God and Father, to him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Amen.
Such great words to rest, even as we're alone. Um, uh, in our different households, that his love is still present and ongoing. So we are going to turn now to 2 Kings. So if you have a Bible, I would encourage you to read along. 2 Kings chapter 5. And what we have been doing for the last few weeks is looking at this great story of how God used this little slave girl, a Hebrew slave girl, to, to save and to change um, well, a, a pagan Syrian general. Uh, I, I hope for you as well as, as I that, that you've been greatly comforted by the, just seeing how God works through trouble. He works through evil for the good of those who love him. Even for the good of his enemies, which is the story of the gospel, that, that while we were yet enemies, Christ died for us. So you get, we're getting different pictures of what Jesus would do even in the Old Testament. And so today what we're going to do is look at the frustrating and, and actually comforting case of Gehazi, Elisha's servant, because even in Gehazi, we do see good news of God's discipline in our lives. And I want to try and convince you of that and feel free to send feedback. I look forward to, to talking about it later. But let, let's read the text and then we'll pray. I'm going to read from 2 Kings chapter 5. I'll start in verse 13, where, where Naaman's servants are pleading with him to listen to Elisha the prophet. It's the word of our God. It says, But his servants came near and said to him, My father, it is a great word that the prophet has spoken to you. Will you not do it? Has he actually said to you, Wash and be clean? So he, Naaman, went down and dipped himself seven times in the Jordan, and according, according to the word of the man of God, and his flesh was restored like the flesh of a little child, and he was clean. And then he returned to the man of God, he and all his company, and he came and stood before him. And he said, Behold, I know that there is no God in all the earth but in Israel. So accept now a present from your servant. But he said, As the Lord lives before whom I stand, I will receive none. And he urged him to take it, but he refused. Then Naaman says, said, If not, please let there be given to your servant two mule loads of earth, for from now on your servant will not offer burnt offering or sacrifice to any god but the Lord. In this matter, may the Lord pardon your servant. When my master goes into the house of Ramon to worship there, leaning on my arm, and I bow myself in the house of Ramon. When I bow myself in the house of Ramon, the Lord pardon your servant in this matter. And he, Elisha, said to him, go in peace. But when Naaman had gone from him a short distance, Gehazi, the servant of Elisha, the man of God, said, see, my master has spared this Naaman, the Syrian, in not accepting from his hand what he brought. As the Lord lives, I will run after him and get something from him. So Gehazi followed Naaman. And when Naaman saw someone running after him, he got down from the chariot to meet him and said, Is all well? And he said, All is well. My master has sent me to say, There have just now come to me from the hill country of Ephraim two young men of the sons of the prophets. Please give them a talent of silver and two changes of clothing. Naaman said, Be pleased to accept two talents. And he urged him and tied up two talents of silver and two bags and two changes of clothing, and he laid them on two of his servants. And they carried them before Gehazi. And when he came to the hill, he took them from their hand and put them in the house, and he sent the men away, and they departed. He went in and stood before his master, and Elisha said to him, where have you been, Gehazi? And he said, Your servant went nowhere. But he said to him, Did not my heart go when the man turned from his chariot to meet you? Was it a time to accept money and garments, olive orchards and vineyards, sheep and oxen, oxen, male servants and female servants? Therefore, the leprosy of Naaman shall cling to you and to your descendants forever. So he went out from his presence, a leper. 
like snow. And this is God's word. It is true and trustworthy and revealed to us in love. Uh, let's pray together before we begin. Our Father and our God, we ask now that your spirit would come and teach us, would, would soften our hearts as we heard from the psalmist, that we would grow in our understanding and, and not be stubborn. So help, help now to grow our delight in being loved by you, our Father, being loved by Jesus the Son, and being, being loved by the Holy Spirit. And so help us, help us believe the gospel today. And then as we see the gospel, we see your love. Help us to trust your discipline working in our lives for our good. And pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. We start with a question. What, what images come to mind or what memories come to mind when you think of being disciplined? When, when you think of how your parents disciplined you. Right? It's really hard not to remember how our parents work to correct and change our behavior. Sometimes it was done well. I imagine sometimes it was done poorly. The timeouts, right? everybody's in timeout now, we're all in solitary confinement, but <laughs> right? remember that some of us had corporal discipline, spanking. Some of us got grounded. Maybe you spent a lot of your teenage years not doing what you wanted to do because of the choices you made. Some of us had things taken away from us, right? I mean, I've been disciplined and I can testify that I do not like it. And as a parent, I can tell my children do not enjoy the process either. And so when you think about those ideas, what do you think about when, when we hear that God is a God who disciplines as a good father? Does that freak you out? Do you, do you feel blessed when he is disciplining you? Gehazi is being disciplined, and I want to try and convince you he is blessed by being disciplined, even though it seems harsh to our ears. I mean, hear Job. Job 5.17, where Job says, What a blessing it is when God steps in and corrects you. Therefore, do not despise the discipline of the Almighty, for he wounds but he binds up, he shatters, but his hands, they heal. And so I'm going to try and convince you that well, our view of discipline, of, of how we grew up, is definitely going to shape how you understand Gehazi's story. And so we need to use a gospel lens. I mean, according to the scriptures, discipline is a gift of God's grace, not one to be enjoyed in the moment for sure, but it's done by a God who loves us too much to let us wallow in our selfishness and to stay the same. He's taking us in a direction, like a parent carrying a child. And of course, God's disciplining grace for Christians has a goal in mind to grow you to be more like Christ, to be more like Jesus, to love what God loves, to love people the way God loves people. And that's what we saw in the little slave girl as she loved her enemy and forgave him and worked for his healing, right? And so this is, this is a helpful passage. It's a long introduction, but I know personally I love the grace and mercy shown to Naaman. I mean, it's such a clear picture of God working to forgive and heal and help his enemies. We love that. We love the grace. And it's easy. I mean, this is what Sunday school lessons do. They cut off the bad news. They cut off the discipline. It's the same God disciplining Gehazi that is healing Naaman. We have to get that wrapped, get that, or get our minds wrapped around that. It's the same God, the Lord, the Lord, merciful and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love, who forgives iniquity and transgression is the same God who by no means clears the guilty and visits the iniquity of the fathers to the different generations. That's the book of Exodus. The same God is merciful, gracious, but he also loves justice and correcting wrongs at the same time. So we gotta, we gotta figure out how to hold these together and, and that's what we're gonna do. I'm gonna ask this question. And it probably is freaking you out right now a little bit if you stop and think about it. Will God treat you like Naaman or will he treat you like Gehazi? And I think the answer is yes. 
And now that I have your attention, let's look at the text. Because <laughs> we're going to see two points. God in his disciplining grace and his love shows us our ugliness, shows us our sin. And then second, God in his disciplining grace shows us, um, well, it's patient and working for our good. So he shows us our ugliness, but it's also patient and for our good. So let's, let's get to know Gehazi. This is a good place to start as we see how God shows us our ugliness. Right? Who was he? Well, we, we read that Gehazi was Elisha's servant. He is the servant of the man of God. That's a helpful picture here. Because Gehazi, he has entered into a discipleship relationship, probably most likely going to take Elisha's place as a prophet. He's going to be a leader. Or at least he's being trained to be a leader. Um, you find that pattern all over the Old Testament. Joshua was trained by Moses. Elijah trained Elisha to be his assistant. And Elisha took over. And now Gehazi has this distinct privilege of being the servant of the man of God. This is how leadership is supposed to work. You begin your process of being raised up to being a leader by coming down to serve. The Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve. It's a Jesus-like pattern. And so Gehazi is being trained to be a prophet. He's being trained to represent God. He's being trained to speak for God. So he has to know God and make God's will known. And so it's, it's pretty easy to see that he is a religious guy. He's a good guy, uh, at least by all outward appearances. And the first time you meet Gehazi, the chapter before, he's doing a good thing. He is actively loving uh, a widow or a, a woman who will be a widow. He's doing preemptive widow care. Right? The first time you meet Gehazi, he is suggesting to Elisha to, to care for this barren Shunammite woman. To, and he suggests that, that Elisha pray for her to have a son because her husband is old and there will be no one to take care, care of her. He said, this is preemptive, loving widow care. Gehazi, he's modeling and showing mercy. He's acting like God, the father of the fatherless, the defender of the widows. And so Elisha does that. He prays. The woman has a son. I mean, the, the source of this is Gehazi. I want you to see he's more than just this one moment that we read before. So you got this high picture, and then the second time you just have this shady picture where you're not really sure what's going on. Because the same woman who has had a son by now comes to Elisha years later when her son is older. She's in bitter distress because her only son just said he had a headache, fell into a coma, and died. And so she has not only lost someone she loves, she's lost the equivalent of, of her retirement, her security, 401k. She's lost her hope. Her son was her living hope, and now he has died. And there's a strange note where it says that she fell at Elisha's feet. Gehazi is there trying to push her away from Elisha. And so you're not sure if he's defending his master or if he's just clueless to her grief. And then, to fill in the picture, the third time you see Gehazi, he's here with Naaman as a lover of money, a manipulative liar, a religious insider who shows that he does not yet get the gospel. You're supposed to compare him to Naaman. Same gospel, two different effects. Right, so the question this morning is what should we as followers of Jesus learn from Gehazi? And there's a few points here that I think are really helpful. Um, they, they, they function as warnings. I mean, just, just uh, put that out there. Right? The, first, the first warning I think we get is watch out for the subtle creep of pride. You got Gehazi who's honored. He's learning the scriptures. He's doing a good thing. Um, you know, he's, he's someone who's functionally helping the elders, teaching Sunday school. Right? He's, he's someone who's, who's got attention but you can slowly see, just for these few details, the creep of pride, right? 
He's seeing God work miracles through Elisha. He's seeing God's power over life and death, which is similar to Christians in the resurrection. And yet he has not been changed by, the, by God's mercy. God's mercy for Naaman bounces off Gehazi's heart like an arrow hitting a rock. It doesn't change him. He's still proud, stubborn, and self-righteous. Which is, which is the whole point of this text. I think it's, it's showing you that just being at church doesn't make you a Christian. Doing religious things doesn't make a Christian. You need a real experience. I need a real experience with the God of grace to be changed to go to war with our pride, which is a bigger problem than our disease. And you get the clue that he's, he is just full-on arrogant right now. When you look at verse 20, when it says, See, look, my master has spared this Naaman. <laughs> right? He's already pushed him out there as someone else. It's this Naaman, the Syrian. Right? He's saying this Syrian... I want you to hear the scorn. This Aramean, my enemy, my master was too kind to him. He let him off the hook. I mean, you got to remember, the Syrian armies have come down into Israel. And so Gehazi isn't forgiving. He's actually leaning into his pride. He's leaning into his hatred. He's leaning into his, specifically, what we would call racism. I'm going to go get what I can from that guy because he's Syrian. He's willing to exploit, lie, and cheat someone simply because they have different beliefs and a different ethnicity, which we call the root of that pride, self-righteousness. So if you want to picture this in your head, Naaman was willing to take the humbling journey down, literally down, geographically down, into humility, to take orders from a prophet, from a God that he didn't know, from a prophet from among his enemies. Naaman's journey forced him to be humble. He had to suffer humility in order for God to heal him and raise him up and change him. But Gehazi is saying, I want to be up here. I don't want to come down. He's choosing to serve himself because that's what sin does. It says, your life is out there to serve me. I will get from you something rather than the way of love, which says, my life is here to serve you, which is what Elisha does. And so that's a warning. Beware the subtle creep of pride of, of looking down on others. And, and this is the hard part for Gehazi is completely clueless at this point in the story. And unfortunately, until we blow it, often it's not always known to us unless someone else shows us the importance of community. We don't know when we're being arrogant or self-righteous until someone says, wait a second, that smells funny. It's not okay. Right. And so God disciplines us. He, he gives us opportunities to see these things. He shows us our ugliness, and that's what Gehazi is in the process of learning. And that's why Thomas Boston, this old Puritan pastor, famously wrote really well, is that trials and troubles is God's tool so that we can see what's really inside people. Suffering is where we see people's true colors. Different trials is when people, their stuff comes out because it's already in here. And that's what, that's what you're seeing in Gehazi. You didn't know, he didn't know he was greedy and arrogant until this opportunity came up. So be, beware pride. And then second, I think this is another helpful warning. Uh, beware the deceptive power of being religious. Unfortunately, if you're doing things well for a while, it kind of lulls us into this, this, this false sense of security. And Gehazi has to learn the hard way through a very real and public and ugly moral failure, which, which helps me. This is going to help you process what seems like harsh discipline on God's part in putting the leprosy on Gehazi. Because Gehazi looks at Naaman, like I said, he says, I'm going to get something from him. And that's how sin works. You are here to serve me. Rather than the way of grace, the way of Christ, because we're Christians, little Christs, it's my life to serve you. 
And if you're religious, if you're doing good things, it's much harder to see this. Yeah, that's why the Sermon on the Mount is so helpful and, and humbling. Because we all know this. You can, we can very clearly see self-righteousness in other people. <laughs> right? It's nauseating, of course, and we see it very clearly in others, but we can't see it in ourselves. Gehazi's clueless here at this point, blinded by his position. One of my favorite examples, and I know I've used this a couple times before, is Mrs. Turpin and Flannery O'Connor's story, Revelation. It takes place in Jim Crow South, and Mrs. Turpin, like Gehazi, is religious. She goes to church. She says, I've never spared myself when I ever see anyone in need. doesn't matter whether they're black or white or trash or decent. We all hear those categories. Say, wait a second. Wait a second. You just call people trash. You're kind of tone deaf here as you're reading the story. And in the story, she spends almost all of her time making moral judgments of people who are different than her, using her religion to feel like she's okay. And in the story, it takes Mary Grace, this non-Christian who can hear her arrogance, her pride, her self-righteousness. She's just frowning and making an ugly face. And while Mrs. Turpin is saying, I, I just don't understand people who have ugly faces, who have a bad disposition. It's so sad that people are sad. <laughs> and that's when it says in the story, Grace hit her in the face, struck the book, hit her in the eye. And Mary Grace tackled her, they started wrestling, and, and Mrs. Turpin's told back to, to go back to hell where you came from, you old warthog. Right? And that's the point. Sin and pride is ugly, and often we can't see it because we hide it behind our good deeds. And Gehazi, who's training to represent God, in these moments, he's not acting like God. He's not acting like Elisha, the man of God. He's acting like Satan, and he needs someone to show him. Look, look at what he does. Look at the text. It says, he swears an oath. By, this is a common way of talking as the Lord lives. I swear I will get something from him. And you are supposed to hear, I think, the, the Hebrew irony of that he will get something from Naaman. He will get exactly what he deserves. He's going to get the leprosy. It's just not what he expected. Uh, Gehazi lies. It's a brilliant lie. Got a couple poor seminary students. Please have mercy, Naaman. Can you, send, can you give me some money? And Naaman, being the good guy, is over-the-top generous. Right? I mean, he gives him two talents, an absurd amount of money. It's 75. One talent is 75 pounds of silver. It's so heavy, Gehazi can't even carry it back himself. He has to employ other people to serve him. But you can see the center of selfishness happening here. Right, and then Gazi hides it, he stashes it in his house, he's feeling pretty good right now, and then he stands face to face with Gehazi, and it's, you're, you're, I think you're supposed to hear direct echoes of, of Adam and Eve in the garden, because Elisha says to Gehazi, where were you? Gehazi goes, I didn't go anywhere. Well, it's just like us, I didn't do it, it wasn't me. And then Elisha asks him, did not my heart go with you? Did not my heart go when you took from Naaman? Such a great counseling question. Because on the one hand, Gehazi has grieved Elisha by betraying him. And you can hear the mercy in Elisha just by the way he phrased the question. And what Gehazi has done as well is he has abused the gospel. He's changed the good news when he comes to Naaman and says, I want something from you. When God just gives his grace freely out of his own generosity. In the moment, Gehazi was representing Elisha and God, the God who kills and makes alive, the God who, the God of grace, who says, come to me for free. That's Isaiah, come and eat and drink and buy without price. It's free. It's my gift to you. Come, let me heal you. Gehazi, this is why the punishment seems so severe. He's done a severe thing. He has misrepresented the God he claims 
to represent. And God is at his most severe with his judgment when somebody manipulates the gospel. Ask Moses. Nobody was a more humbler man than Moses, but when he lost his temper and struck the rock twice, which is a symbol of judgment coming down for sins more than once, God said, you will not enter the promised land. Or say, well, he just lost his temper. No, he, he corrupted the gospel. He changed the gospel. He, he made people think that God was irrationally angry as God's representative. And then the, the final nail in the coffin, so to speak, as, as Elisha talks to Gehazi, he asks this question, is now really the time to accept gifts? Look at the last item on the list. It's now the time to accumulate wealth and to accumulate male and female servants. The only reason Naaman is there is because of the sacrifices and the pain and the hurt this little slave girl went through to forgive her enemy. And Gehazi has pretty much thrown that back in her face. So it's like Elisha is asking Gehazi, don't you know what that girl sacrificed in order to be used by God? Is now the time to be thinking about you? Therefore, you will get something from Naaman, his leprosy. And so here's, here's the frustrating point, and then we're going to move to the good news here. This is, a, this is harsh. This, this is difficult. But, but the point is, God in his disciplining grace is not ashamed to show you and I the ugliness of our own sin through other people. Often it takes other people to show you that you're a sinner. I mean, ask anyone who's been married for more than two weeks. It takes another sinner to show another sinner that they too are sinners. And one of the things that I was helped deeply with in trying to wrestle with this was some words by Pastor Tim Keller where he, he, he points this out. One of the really frustrating parts of living in a broken world is just how unfair it is. Because you can have beautiful people, successful people, wealthy people, people who have money, power, comfort, and success, and they're attractive on the outside. Their bodies look nice. But on the inside, they're hideous. Their pride and self-righteousness has made them ugly and they can't see it. And then at the same time, you have those who are beautiful souls, beautiful lives, lovely people who are on the inside, who love fiercely, who are humble, who on the outside, their bodies have been marred by poverty and disease and just look unimportant and unattractive, and they get overlooked. And nobody knows because they can't see the inside. They have a beautiful inside and an ugly outside. And so what happens right here, right now with Gehazi is God does something beautiful and poetic and revealing as he shows, right? Gazi's inside now is being visible on his outside. Everybody can see his pride through his leprosy. Just like the world can see the, the humility of Naaman in his flesh that's now like a child. And so, this is God's disciplining grace. He's moving us to repentance by showing us the ugliness of our sin. And if Elisha uses the, the, the servant girl's suffering to show Gehazi the ugliness of his sins, I think that's what he does at the end there by pointing out female servants. What about us as Christians? Well, it's Palm Sunday. As Pastor Jim prayed. We look to the Jesus who steeled his face to go to Jerusalem in love to lay down his life for us, to show us, to reveal to us how ugly our pride really is. I mean, today's Palm Sunday. And when Jesus came into Jerusalem that, that Palm Palm Sunday, it was to praise, to celebration. Everybody says, we're awesome, he's awesome, everything is great. And five days later, they were gonna be crying out for the same man to be crucified. The same people had no idea what was hidden, their own evil inside their hearts. See, it took Jesus, and that's what it does. It takes Jesus hanging on a cross for the sins of mankind, who was ugly, who was marred beyond human recognition, 
bearing the ugliness of our pride and our sin, carrying our diseases. And it is unfair. The Son of God, who was radiant and glorious, the divine beauty himself, who in love for us, his enemies as sinners, made himself ugly for us. Isaiah 53, this was foretold years before it happened. That the Messiah, when he grew up, he grew up like a young plant, and he had no form or majesty that we should look at him. He had no beauty that we should desire him. In fact, he was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows, acquainted with grief. See, this is where pride leads, right? The ugliness, seeing the ugliness of our sin on Christ on the cross, who was marred so that we might be healed, that we might be made new, that we might be on the journey of discipline to be formed into a people who are beautiful the way Jesus was beautiful, willing to serve even his enemies. So that, that was God's discipline. You see it on the cross. It's for our good. We cannot change unless someone shows us what we're like. And that's why we're called to don't despise God's discipline. His work of mercy showing us that we need to change. Do you see it as for your good yet? I mean, first you have to receive his grace on the cross. And, and when you see his kindness, that's what makes me willing to come out and say, yeah, I'm going to go stand in the, the, the presence of the man of God, Jesus himself. And I'm going to own it. That's why we confess our sin every week. And that process, as you go down into the suffering of Christ, is the place where God heals you and then raises you up to seat you with Christ in the heavenly places. What the psalmist calls being blessed. Last point, and this is shorter. Grace patiently disciplines us in love. You know, if you just stopped and all you knew about Gehazi was this point, it'd be super dep- it's a super depressing story. But his story doesn't end there. It's, it's very hopeful for us who are in the process of being changed. As one commentator put it, God doesn't bring us to a breaking point just to smash us and then into a thousand pieces and then leave us alone. No, he's putting us back together again. Neither Elisha nor God gives up on Gehazi. Just turn the page to 2 Kings chapter 8. I'll, I'll read. This is where we see Gehazi again. Familiar characters are going to show up again. Elisha and that woman who had a son that Elisha raised from the dead. It said, Now Elisha had said to the woman whose son he had restored to life, Arise and depart with your household and sojourn wherever you can, for the Lord has called for a famine. And it will come upon the land for seven years. So the woman arose and did according to the word of the man of God. She went with her household and sojourned in the land of the Philistines seven years. And at the end of the seven years, when the woman returned from the land of the Philistines, she went to appeal to the king for her house and her land. Now the king was talking with Gehazi, there he is, the servant of the man of God. He's still Elisha's servant. And he was, the king was saying to, to Gehazi, tell me all the great things that Elisha has done. And while he was telling the king how Elisha had restored the dead to life, behold, the woman whose son he had restored to the life appealed to the king for a house and her land. And Gehazi said, My lord, O king, here is the woman and here is her son whom Elisha restored to life. When the king asked the woman, she told him. So the king appointed an official for her, saying, Restore all that was hers together with all the produce of the fields from the day that she left the land until now. <laughs> what an astounding story. Even though he was disciplined, even though he was condemned, even though he was shown the ugliness of his sin, God wasn't done with him yet. I mean, we don't know how many years after that moment we are, but Gehazi is still being used as a minister of the gospel. And I want you to see God is patient with his discipline of us, with his grace. Gehazi is learning mercy. He's showing mercy again. 
I mean, at this point, God has put him in, in the right place at the right time to meet the needs of one woman, most likely a widow. I mean, let that picture comfort your anxieties. God uses a moral failure to meet the needs of someone in need. Gehazi just happens to be there. I mean, you almost can hear the, the smirk in the text and says, behold, here's Gehazi. So Gehazi, who's leprous, who's disciplined, who's been humbled, he's now testifying to the grace and kindness of God to the king. I mean, this is so encouraging. This is the grace of God's discipline, that through faith, through repentance, though scarred from our failures, God continues to use us to be his witnesses. And in fact, I think it makes you a more powerful witness. Because you believe the grace even more deeply after you have received it. He who has been forgiven much, forgives much. He who has been loved much, loves much. And Gehazi has been loved. God used that moment of failure to disciple others, to care for others. That's the model for us. When you blow it, when you're being disciplined, uh, when you're being confronted with your sin, God can and will use that moment as you repent and trust in the grace of God in Christ Jesus at the cross to then disciple others. So it's helpful to, to reflect on that. We are a PCA church that believes and loves the Bible, which means we practice this, what we call discipline. Similar to what, right, we're not casting anyone down with leprosy. We don't have that kind of power. <laughs> uh, but what we do say is we believe and teach people to preach the gospel and say, this is how you follow Jesus. And if you're not following Jesus the way Jesus told you to follow him, we're going to tell you. I mean, right now you're being disciplined. I don't know if it feels that way, right? Because most of the time discipline from a church is just telling you, here's the gospel, believe it, and here's how you follow Jesus. Every time you come to church, every time you come to a small group, every time you join together in the life of the church with other Christians, you are being disciplined because it's related to the word for being discipled. But there are moments when Christians whom we love, who carry our heart, and that, that's Elisha's language. This is a model of church leadership. When Christians blow it and they sin publicly, everyone knows it. They're like Gehazi. And that's when elders go into discipline mode. Who are called with great patience to show others the ugliness of their sin and the grace of Christ at the same time in order to move that person, whoever that may be, down into repentance down into faith so that Christ might restore them. And that's, that's the goal. doesn't always work that way because we don't always have willing participants because nobody likes being shown the ugliness of their sin. But the goal is similar to Gehazi. That by God's grace, there, there are consequences. But that person who trusts in God's discipline through the gospel will be able to say how much clearer and louder and how much more deeply they believe how kind and how merciful is Jesus. So that's why I encourage you to even think about church membership if you haven't. I mean, this is part of what being in a church that follows Jesus does, is that they, they pursue you under repentance when you fail in order to restore you. We take vows to say, I'm not going to leave you alone. Because that's how Jesus loved me. What does that look like? Well, Gehazi had Elisha to show him the mercy of God. We have Jesus, something better. Right? How did Jesus show mercy to moral failures who did it in public? Look at Peter. Peter, who was Jesus' close friend, who carried Jesus' heart. Wherever he went and on the night Jesus was betrayed, Peter denied him three times. But merciful Jesus, in discipline, in love, tells Mary Magdalene on the morning of the resurrection, go tell my brothers to meet me. He's still claiming Peter, who sinned, who failed. You're my brother. You can tell 
that that deeply affected Peter when he writes words like, I'm going to write to all those who are having trouble believing the right things in Second Peter. But he writes to all these Christians who are, who are struggling with doctrine or struggling with virtue. And he says, to those who have obtained a faith of equal standing with ours by the righteousness of God. He's addressing Christians who don't have it all together. And he says, you have a faith of equal standing with me because of the mercy of Christ. So, will God treat you and me like Naaman with great mercy and forgiveness for his enemies? Or will he treat you like Gehazi with loving discipline? The answer is yes. I believe he does. And so that's why this is a call, an invitation to not despise the Lord's discipline in your life, even when you're shown the ugliness of what's inside, because God in his grace patiently disciplines us for our good. We are loved too much by Jesus for him to let us stay the same. Trust him. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for the grace you showed us in uh, the work through the years that you spent and then the life of Gehazi. And I pray that would be encouraging for us, for those who are struggling. Um, for those of us who are we're not fans of discipline, I pray you would, your spirit would make us patient as you are patient. And I just pray that you would give us eyes to see the wonder of the gospel of Jesus, the servant of the man of God, who loved us even while we were enemies, even to death on the cross. So may that comfort us as we right now are stuck in our homes, we're making sacrifices for people we've never met. May that motivate our love for our neighbors, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Let's sing together, It Is Well With My Soul. Words will be up on the screen. And then we'll end with a benediction. Okay. Just checking. We all good? Here we go. When like a river attendeth my way when sorrows like sea bills roll whatever thy lot thou hast taught me to say it is well it is well with my soul with my soul it is well it is well with my soul oh Satan should buffet though trials should come let these blessed assurance control that Christ has regarded my helpless estate and has shed his own blood for my soul. It is well with my soul. glorious thought my sin not in part but the whole is nailed to the cross and I bear it no more praise the Lord praise the Lord oh my soul it is well soul. It is well, it is well with my soul.
actually from numbers i printed the wrong thing from you but now may the lord bless you and keep you keep his word for protect may the lord bless you and keep you the lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you the lord lift up his countenance may he turn and look at you and give you his peace and may he do so in christ jesus his son so go in that assurance as his witnesses as you carry god's heart now amen well, at this point, we're going to split up into breakout rooms just to hang out and check on each other. If you're willing and able to stick around, uh, please do so. If you have other things to do, we understand. But uh, it's just good to check on each other. If you have any questions about the sermon or about what's going on, feel free to reach out via email or phone. Uh, I might send an email. I might set up. Some-